was announced that I was coming to speak for the last time or not, but uh, uh, anyway, I, I will assume the encouragement factor in it. And I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to thank you for the privilege of being here. I haven't uh, met all of you, but I have met some of you. I have appreciated your encouragement. I uh, wish that I had come at an earlier part in the year to see the soccer team play. I hope to go and see the basketball team play this evening. And um, I hope that it will stop raining by 12 o'clock so that I can play golf this afternoon. But um, whether it does or not, that's fine. Hebrews chapter 12, we've been dealing with the subject of spiritual fitness. We have had the constant refrain from 1 Timothy 4, 8. Physical fitness has a certain value, but spiritual fitness is essential both for this life and for the life to come. On Monday morning, we thought about checking our motives, the need to feel deeply about what we're doing. On Wednesday morning, we dealt with the whole area of our minds and the necessity of thinking clearly. This morning in this final study, I want to speak about the whole area of staying the course, perseverance, diligence, running vigorously. And there perhaps is nowhere better to turn to than these opening three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's take a moment in silent prayer, shall we? Will you just ask the Lord to speak to you this morning, irrespective of the people around you, asking him to help you to set aside the concerns about exams and all the anticipation that is part of later this day. O oh God, our Father, we take your word, not lightly, but carefully. And we want that the Spirit of God would write it in our hearts. We want to be different. We want to make progress. We want to be fit for your glory and for your use. Use this study, we pray, to help us to that end. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I have four pegs this morning on which I want to hang the outline of what we're going to deal with. Four words, let me give them to you and then I'll work through them with you. The first word is inspiration. The second word is preparation. The third word is determination. And the fourth word is consideration. Inspiration, preparation, determination, and consideration. In these three verses, which doubtless are familiar to us all, there is first of all inspiration given to us. The writer of the Hebrews has just gone in chapter 11 through a long list of people 
who have lived lives where faith has been exemplary in them. And now he says, moving from the 11th chapter into the 12th, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, to whom does he refer? Well, he refers primarily to those whom he has enumerated in the 11th chapter. Some have taken this, and it may even be your thinking, to be expressive of an arena where the members of Hebrews 11 and others who have joined them look, as it were, from the vantage point of heaven down onto earth and see those of us who are still on earth running the race. But I want to tell you quite categorically that that is an inaccurate estimate of what is being said here. Because frankly, if when you got to heaven, you were able to look down on earth and see what was going on, it would cease to be heaven just to have that kind of view of earth. And rather we are confronted by a scene whereby the people whom he has outlined have by their lives witness to faith. They have run the race and they have finished. They have done well. And he has recalled the names of Abraham and of Noah and of uh, Enoch and of others besides. And he says, now listen, think about it. Think about the people in the gallery that I have just painted for you. Their lives have testified to faith. They have been the forerunners for you. Now you are running the race of the Christian life. You have come to faith in Jesus Christ. You have enlisted in the race. You have, if you like, been given a number. You have been placed on the track. The gun has sounded and you have begun to run. Now he says, to those of you who are weary and faint-hearted, to those of you who are wondering if it's worth it, to those of you who have been prone and tempted to quit, remember, be inspired by those who have testified to their faith in Jesus Christ. And when you go back and read chapter 11, you find that not only in their life, but also in their death, they had attested to their own faith. So this is the picture. You've walked around, he says, the, the trophy room of faith. You've walked around the gallery. You've walked around the, uh, the hall of fame, to use American parlance. Your mind has been captivated by those who have gone before. Now let them be an inspiration to you. Now we can all understand that in the area of life in which we are uh, keen to make uh, progress. For me, it was uh, in soccer. I can remember uh, skipping school to go to the trophy. And that was skipping school at an earlier age than anyone ever should skip school. But I left a little early to catch a train to go into Glasgow to see the trophies of the Glasgow Rangers football team. Incidentally, I need to clear up this matter of football just while I'm here. Football is a game played with your feet. You call it soccer. It is actually football. And what you call football, where you hardly kick the ball at all, you really need to come up with another name for that. Why should we who know what football is, have to call football soccer to accommodate those who don't know what football is, so that they can keep the name? Okay, well now I got that off my chest, but anyway... 
We say, send the guy home. Don't bring him out here. We don't need his grief coming out here telling us about football. Incidentally, I like American football now. I like it. And uh, I, I, my favorite player is the Ice Cube. McNeil, right? Because he's the only guy that I've ever uh, seen who's, this, who's the same size as me and plays, plays American football. So I think he must, he must be okay. Anyway, I'm way off the point. What I was telling you about was the Glasgow Rangers trophy room. Now, when I went down there on an afternoon with a friend of mine, incidentally, whose name was also called McNeil, Billy McNeil, we walked around the trophy room and we looked at the Scottish Football Association Cup. We looked at medals. We looked at the past. It was just a glittering array of gold and silver and, and, and photographs and dreams. And as a 13-year-old, I just looked at all of that and it inspired me immensely. I can still remember the name of the first Rangers team I ever saw, probably at the age of nine. And it went like this, Richie, Shearer, Caldo, Davis, McKinnon, Baxter, Henderson, McMillan, Miller, Brand, and Wilson. Those were the boys. And when I thought of them, they inspired me to play. And you can think of similar areas. Now I want to ask you this morning, think about this. Think about it not only in biblical terms, but think about it in terms of those who have most influenced your life. It might be your mom, it might be your dad, it might be a brother who's older, maybe a sister, maybe a school teacher, maybe a pastor, whoever it is. But when you think of that individual, you think of someone who is spiritually fit. You think of somebody who when you looked at their life, you said, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to follow their example. Now hold on to that in your mind as you think of it. There is an inspiration that is given to us, but also, and here's the challenge, there is an inspiration which we in turn will give to others. Because you don't live to yourself and you don't die to yourself. And you are either the kind of fellow in this college in whose company it is easy to be good, or you're the kind of guy in whose company it is easier to be bad. And the same for the girls. Relationships are seldom neutral with the same sex, with the opposite sex. They will either be a help to us on our spiritual pilgrimage, or frankly, they will be a hindrance to us. So I want you to think of this in terms of inspiration. Think of those who have inspired you and be thankful to God for them and ask yourself the question, what kind of inspiration am I to my peers, to the youth group at home who know that I came to the master's college, to the kids in the junior high group that I will be amongst this Christmas time? What will I say to them? What will my life tell them? Will there be wee boys and girls who are saying, Boy, oh boy, I want to grow up and be like him. I want to be like her. Or will they say, where did they come from? Smarty pants, home from college. No time for us. Don't want to talk to us. No time to listen. They just want to tell and tell and tell. Think about it. If your epitaph were to be put on a tombstone tonight, what would they write What have we done for God so far so that if we were taken home now and they put it on the stone, what would they write? 
You know the story of uh, the lawyer by the name of Odd, talking about tombstones? Reginald Odd, who worked as an attorney and was plagued all through his life by his name. People used to call him funny things because his name was Odd. And uh, they'd call him Oddball and Odd Job and Odd other things. So in his will, he put various instructions and one was, my name must not appear on my tombstone. Simply write on the tombstone, here lies an honest lawyer. And people used to walk through the graveyard, look at the stone and say, that's odd. I'm not, I'm not here to uh, scare you with the thought of death. But death will come for us all. Someday they'll write it down in the newspaper and your name will be there unless Christ returns first. And I say to you again, listen to me, will you? Here I am, a middle-aged gentleman telling you, all right? Listen to me. The, the speed with which you get from the age of 20 to the age of 35 is awesome. It's scary. Yesterday I was 20. Today I'm 35. Tomorrow, I guess I'll be 70. And what you are today, the character you're forming today, is the person you'll be tomorrow. So look around here at the gallery of faith and take your inspiration and remember that you in turn need to be an inspiration to others. The second word is the word preparation. There is an inspiration that is given. There is a preparation we must make. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's the preparation. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So Paul moves very quickly from, from inspiration to preparation. That's important, you know, because inspiration on its own is insufficient. Because it's possible to get really inspired and nothing happens to you. Think of all the times you've sat in a chapel like this. Or you've been in a church service somewhere. And the word of God has come with great conviction. It's come home as if you were the only person in the room. And as the concluding hymn came, and as you stood to your feet, and as that moment of silent prayer came, you were inspired. And in that great divine afflation that came upon you, you said, I'm going to be that person. Well, did you become that person? Perhaps not. You know what the missing link was? Inspiration devoid of preparation equals stagnation. And you can't just begin inspired all the time. That's why inspirational messages are only good insofar as they are followed by divinely approved activity. So what I've said to you Monday, Wednesday and Friday, you may take, you may leave, you may have a note or two. You may add it to the thickening file that you have of chapel services. But this is what I'm here to ask you. What are you going to do with the notes? 
You see, all the tapes in the world and all the books in the world and all the files in the world with all the inspiring messages don't amount to squat unless you are prepared to do that which it takes and which it calls for. James 1, be not merely hearers of the word, but be ye doers also. For the man who merely hears and hears the word and doesn't do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror. And having seen what he looks about like, he goes away and immediately forgets. So is the individual who, having been inspired, makes no preparation. Well, what is the preparation we're to make? Look at what it says. It's straightforward. First of all, throw off everything that hinders. Or, in the King James Version, the authorized version, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. The word that is used here in classical literature is the word for bulk. It is a word for excessive... Uh, useless, unnecessary clothing. Remember, the writer of the Hebrews was bringing his readers away from a legalistic ceremonialism. He was bringing them away from things which were not wrong in themselves, but things which were ultimately unnecessary. He was bringing them from the old covenant to the new covenant. He was bringing them into the liberty that is found in Jesus Christ. And he was saying to them, now listen, there are things that you have to be thankful for, but you mustn't allow them to bog you down. Anything that bogs us down in running the race needs to be thrown away. Now it may not be things that in and of themselves are overtly sinful. It's probably some of the things that we refer to in our Christian life as gray areas. Things that can become a tremendous hindrance to us. Where there is no straightforward categorical statement which says, Thou must not. But the principles of God's word when applied within our hearts bring us to certain conclusions. May I ask you this morning, Write a little thing on your notes, write a question on your notes which says this, Is there anything in my life which is a hindrance right now, today? And for anything, you can write any one. Because you might be dating somebody, they're a lovely, but they're a hindrance to you in your walk with God. Is there anything there which slows me down? You see, the question is not, can I be a Christian and do this? The question is, I am a Christian, can I do this without it slowing me down? And if it slows me down, if it hinders me in the race, then the clear word of Scripture is throw it off. Get rid of it. Well, you say, what do you mean? Well, I've played golf every day this week. So let me speak to you right out of my own heart. Golf, in and of itself, is not bad. Well, the way I play it is bad, but in and of itself, it's not bad. But it could become one of the things that needs to be thrown off. Because if it could become a weight which hinders me. Because I could be consumed by a, such a desire to reduce uh, the, the, the numbers around the golf course that I do that to the detriment of everything else. I could be so consumed by reading literature, English literature, not bad literature now, good literature. But I could be so consumed by wanting to read literature that I never read my Bible. I could so be so consumed with a desire for sports that it takes me over. It's my priority. It's a hindrance to me. 
I can't think of life without it. I can think of life without my Bible reading. I can think of life without Sunday evening attendance at church. I can think of life without a prayer meeting. But I can't think of life without this. The chances are it's a hindrance to you. It's a weight and you've never realized. It's hanging round your neck. And you wonder why you're not the man you might be or the girl you might be. You need to look at these things very, very carefully. Ask yourself again, is there anything preventing me from running well? A year passed in February, I had the privilege of going to Africa. And one of the things that I did was meet with some missionaries from my church in Kenya. And I was at uh, the place in Nairobi where all the Missionary Aviation Fellowship planes are serviced. And uh, I walked around the hangar looking at these planes. There were Beechcraft planes and different kinds. Lovely. But I noticed something. They didn't look that great on the inside. At least they didn't have any special bells and whistles. And even the upholstery on the seats wasn't very special. And in some cases, all the seats weren't in there. They seemed to be stripped down to the bare minimum. And I asked the pilot who was with me, I said, why are these planes like this on the inside? They don't seem to be like the planes at home. Is it because of economy? No, no, he said. It is because... The cargo that we take is so precious and it's so important that we get it there, whether it is people or whether it is belongings, that we strip the planes down to the absolute minimum. We get rid of any potential excess weight in order that the planes might do that for which we desire them. The picture is a graphic one. It's the picture of our life. Strip down of excess weight so that we may do that which pleases God. Incidentally, you'll never know whether you're carrying weights unless you're running. If all you're doing is standing around on the sidelines watching other people run and criticize them, you may think you have no weights. And to you I say, start running. And start running today. For it's as you run you'll know how much you're encumbered. The preparation demands laying aside every weight and secondly, dealing with the sin that so easily entangles us. It's the same picture as we used on Wednesday morning of loose clothing around somebody's ankles. You look at the film Chariots of Fire again, and sorry to mention it again, um, but I, that is, I think, the only video I have ever bought I bought that video because I want to show it to my grandchildren if God spares me. And I waited till it got down to 1995, uh, which it is now. But anyway, when you look at those guys running, because I'm not Scottish for nothing, and uh, uh, when you look at the guys running, they've got those big baggy shorts and, and t-shirts and, uh, and a lot of clobber, you know. How different from the uh, athletics of our day. And the athletics of our day has, has masterminded the approach to clothing in itself to reduce it, reduce it, reduce it to the point where it's, it's, it's almost impossible for it to be a nuisance to you. And the application to our lives this morning is simply this. There are sins in our lives that so easily entangle. God knows you know, and maybe no one else does, what you're dealing with. 
You may be captivated by a habit that if ever anybody found out, you would be so dreadfully, dreadfully ashamed. You may actually be living a double life while you're here at the college. And I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of God's word that if you do not lay aside the entanglements of sin, you will never, ever make progress in spiritual fitness. Well, you say to me, Alistair, I'm not involved in any big stuff. Well, don't let's talk about big stuff then. Let's assume we're not involved in big stuff. Let's assume we're involved in little stuff. What does it take to trip an athlete up? Could an untied shoelace do it? Okay, then write another thing on your notes. Are there untied shoelaces in my spiritual life that need to be dealt with today, not tomorrow? The preparation is clear and it must be matched by the third word, which is determination. Inspiration we've been given, preparation we must make, determination we require. Look at it, verse 1. And let us run with perseverance or with diligence the race marked out for us. The race of the Christian life. Some of us are so good at running everybody else's Christian life that we've no time to run our own. And there is a sense in which without uh, fooling with the text, I believe there's an application there. It is the race that's marked out for you. You will not end up doing the same thing as another. You will not end up in the same place. But beware the predicament at the end of John where Peter is looking around and saying, what will happen to me and what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen to the next person? There is a determination that we individually require to run with perseverance the race which is marked out. It's marked out clearly in the footsteps of Christ. It's marked out clearly in the guidelines of Scripture. We need not be in any doubt about what God desires for us. And we need to realize that if we're going to make it to the end, it's going to be tough. When you run in a race, you get elbows in the ribs. You get spikes in the shins. If you run cross country, you get branches in the eye. You get grazes in the knee. You smash against fences and you fall down. And in the moment when you come crashing into the turf and the hordes go past you, the only thing that brings you back up into your feet at that moment is not the inspiration. The preparation will help, but at that moment, what drags you up from the dirt? It's determination. That's what it is. It's, I'm going to get up and I am going to run. And sometimes as we go through our Christian lives, that's the trouble with us. We're so busy going around taking our spiritual pulses to see if we're still alive. Oh, am I, am I alive this morning? Oh, I'll need to go and talk with somebody today. Things are not going so well. Oh, I need help. Oh, I, oh. I'll give yourself a shake, would you? Hey, you know, it's, life's rough, all right? It's tough. It's a big bad world out here. There's wolves and lions and even your best friends will let you down. You'll get elbows in the ribs from the most unlikely people. There'll be marks in your shins as you journey through. But keep on, keep on. 
In fact, if you want two words from me as the final statement to you from these three chapels, they're right there. Keep on. Keep on. For the race is not always to the swift, it's to him who keeps on running. Great starts don't matter without finishes. Tremendous bursts around the back straight that brings the crowd to their feet. Doesn't matter if you don't breast the tape at the end. And Paul, who understood the security of the believer's life, who understood the wonder of God's sovereign purpose in drawing him to himself, is the same man who said, I live in fear that having preached to others, I myself might become a castaway. Stickability is what we call it in the United Kingdom. I think you call it stick to which is an interesting word, just about as interesting as stickability, I suppose. And I want to give you a cross-reference as it comes to my mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown of laurel that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Did you ever think about that? Eternal reward. There's laid up for you a crown of righteousness. There is laid up for you treasure in heaven. And so Paul says, therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't run here and there and everywhere. I don't fight like a man who boxes shadows. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's one of the things that drives you on, dear ones. That's the thing that drives me on many times. Not only the fact that I had a godly father and a godly mother who have inspired me. Not only the fact that God has given me the opportunity of preparation as you receive it here in this tremendous opportunity for study. But it is a determination born of the fact that I now have three children coming behind me. I have a fellowship that watches me. I have people who look to me. And what a tragedy to speak like this and live a lie. And you say, how could it be? Well, just look at Christian leadership in the last 24 months. There is a determination which is absolutely vital. Laziness is a dreadful thing. And in the heat and stress and tiredness of the race, if we obey our urges, we will chuck it. If you go on your emotions, you'll be chucking it and starting it and chucking it and starting it from now till kingdom come, believe me. You'll be up and down and up and down and up and down. Oh, I don't feel this way today. Oh, I feel this way today. Oh, I feel... Hey, that's not the deal. Eric Alexander, speaking at Urbana last time, told the story of being at a prayer meeting in his church in Glasgow. And there was very little prayer. There were about 150 people there, but few people prayed. And the lady came up to him afterwards and said, Mr. Alexander, I'm so concerned that hardly anybody prayed at the prayer meeting tonight. Well, he said to her, Margaret, did you pray this evening? No, she said, I didn't pray. 
Well, he said, it might have been good if you'd prayed. Why didn't you pray? She said, well, I just didn't feel like praying. And he said to her, my dear girl, prayer is a duty. It is not a glandular condition. And we have made so many things in our Christian experience glandular. If I feel like witnessing, I witness. If I feel like serving, I will serve. If I feel like praying, I will pray. If I feel like attending, I will attend. And our churches are riddled with it. And duty is a, is a, is a, is a dreadful word. You call people to account. Will you be present upon to attend upon the means of grace? Will you be there for communion? Will you be there for the Lord's day? Will you be, make your, your presence felt amongst the people? Say, hey, don't give me that. That's legalism. That's not legalism. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus can't possibly be legalism. To live a life of commitment can't possibly be legalism. It's not legalism that makes a 747 landing at LAX come in along a certain pattern. It is wisdom and a desire for safety. And that's why the patterns of God's word are those which must determine both our takeoffs and our landings. May I encourage you to forge holy habits. Beware of intermittent Christianity, intermittent devotion, like the intermittent windscreen wipers which they put on cars. That little intermittent thing is tremendous in one way and it's a pain in the other. Because just, it goes across when the thing is bone dry and puts rubber all over the front of your windshield and then when you can't see out, the blooming thing doesn't even move, you know. So when it's most needed, it's lying still. And when it's not needed, it's going like crazy. It's like some of our Christian lives. Intermittent Christianity. Inspiration, preparation, determination, and finally, the consideration that strengthens us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, resist the temptation to look out on the crowd. Resist the temptation to look out and say, How am I doing, Mom? Is it, do you ever notice that when they go to those big football players? Big guys, 275 pounds, and the camera comes in on them. What do they always say? Hello, Mom. They never say hello, Dad. They're always waving to their mom on the camera. Presumably, they feel so half thankful that she fed them to make them those big 270-pound guys that they are, or something. But, but they only wave when they made the play. You don't see them, you don't see Ozzie Newsom running to take a pass, you know, from Bernie Kozar, and he's hurtling down 40 or 50 yards, and just as he pauses, then he goes, hey, hey. You only do that once, right? And then it's gone. Some of us are so busy doing this. So busy looking at the person running behind us, the person running in front of us, that we got our eyes all in the wrong place. We need our eyes on Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ, he'll never let you down. Look to Jesus Christ, he's your inspiration. Look to Jesus Christ, it'll stop you looking at yourself. It'll stop you looking at the crowd for applaud. And it will stop you from looking at other people in a critical fashion. And don't tell me that a college like this is devoid of that kind of thing. I know because I've been where you are. And the tendency for cliques and divisions and little groups 
where we talk about other people is as real here as it is anywhere at all. Don't do it. And the antidote to it is keep your eyes on Jesus. Because if you're all looking in that direction, your gaze will be full of him. Final thought that I want to give you is simply this. That the antidote to dejection in verse 3 to weariness, to faint-heartedness is found here in considering Jesus. The word which is used here uh, for throwing yourself down, which is what the word is, so that you will not grow weary, so you won't throw yourself down, so that you won't lose heart and be dispirited, is actually the word used by Aristotle to describe what an athlete does after he has gone past the finishing mark. And when he goes past the finishing mark, he often throws himself on the ground. And the writer to the Hebrews says, don't throw yourself on the ground before you go past the finishing mark. Especially if you're running in a relay race. Especially if someone is waiting to take the baton out of your hand. Don't throw yourself on the ground. There's another who waits to take it from you. Just as you received it from the hand of another. So with your eyes on Jesus and the baton of faith in your hand, you want to be looking forward and that going back. And let the person behind reach forward and take it. But don't whatever you do, throw yourself on the ground before the race is over. Stay on your feet till you pass the post. Can I ask you these four questions in conclusion? You can close your notes and everything else. Just look at me. Let me ask you this and we're done. Well, let me give you questions. You ask yourself these questions. First of all, am I in the race? Am I in the race? I know you went through an interview here, but we interview people in our church and they profess faith in Jesus Christ and somewhere along the journey they say, I don't know him. And they need to come to know him. You could be in that condition here at the Master's College. You need to get in the race. Ask yourself this question, am I running in the right direction? Not running aimlessly? Am I further on in the run than this time last week, last month? And fourthly, would others take encouragement from running alongside me? When I played golf on Wednesday, I had the privilege of playing golf with a whole crowd of people, but one of the guys won the Canadian PGA a few years ago. He just came off the tour. And when he stood to address the ball, I stood behind him. I watched every single thing he did. Every time he did a shot, I stood, I watched everything. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. And I don't. And if I can learn one thing from him, that will help me in my journey. Are you the kind of guy, the kind of girl that people will look to, to learn? An illustration and a prayer and we're through. I got time? I'm going to take it anyway. Here it is. It's not always the people we think who are the great inspirations to us. It's not always the people who are most vocal. It's not always the people who can walk into the cafeteria and grab everybody. Hey guys, how are you doing? You know. It's not always those folk. At least it hasn't been in my life. Let me tell you about one person. And I'm through who made such a tremendous impact on me. Her name was Mary Fisher. She was Welsh. She was about five foot nothing. 
and she was a student along with me. One evening, and this is the first time I ever got to know her, one evening, I went with her and another colleague of mine to uh, a mission for down and out people on the embankment of the Thames in London. All kinds of uh, derelict guys. And uh, Steve had to preach, I had to preach, and Mary had to sing. Well, I was on first because I was down the bill and Steve was top of the bill. And I did my thing and I'm telling you, there wasn't a living soul from what I could tell who paid one bit of attention to what was going on. Some of them literally read newspapers while I was speaking. And I don't mean they read them like this under the seat. I mean they read them like this, right out in front of them. Steve, my friend, he didn't do much better. In fact, in the middle of what he was saying, a man went into the folds of his coat, this is no lie, and he took out an enormous Timex alarm clock. And he held it up, and he looked at it, and he shouted out, Will you be finished soon? Just the way you're feeling right now, you know? And he held it up, he shouted out, because they were only there for the food, they didn't want to hear none of us. The only time they stopped their nonsense and listened was when Mary Fisher sang. A lilting Welsh voice, simple girl, beautiful. Mary Fisher not only studied theology because she was going to teach, but she studied the Shona language and went to Rhodesia to reach the Shona tribes people. You're probably too young to remember, but in 1976, eight, I beg your pardon, in 78, the news came through the Associated Press wires that there had been a massacre in Rhodesia, similar to the one last week, where a group of missionaries had been butchered to death in a school. Ten or eleven were dead. One young foreign missionary was in critical condition, having been abused, assaulted, and mutilated by the rebels in the attack. The girl was Mary Fisher. She died within hours of the news broadcast. When they gathered up her belongings, and dealt with her body for the funeral, they took her tape recorder. And when they plugged the tape recorder in and played it back, it was Mary Fisher's voice singing with a bunch of little Shona children. And this was the song. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, to hold his hand and walk his narrow way. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill, like walking in his will for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When she graduated in 74, she did not think that within four short years, all that she had prayed for would reach its consummation. But today, her memory still inspires me. 
when I am tempted to discouragement and to defeat. Hers is one of the gentle faces I bring before my mind. And I say, give me the spirit, the endurance, the courage of a Mary Fisher. May God bring out of this great company those of you who will be prepared to live and even to die for Jesus Christ. And may these few thoughts on these days about spiritual fitness at least be a link in a chain that helps you to that end. Will you pray with me?